Good afternoon. You're listening to the Mother's Justice Show on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Reverend Walden. It's my joy to be on the air. And that theme song says it all for me today. He, we who believe in freedom cannot rest till freedom come. Uh, this is a heavy, hard-hearted weekend uh, uh, for me coming on today. I, of course, I don't live in, Baldur, uh, in Buffalo, but we're all connected. They didn't bring us here one slave at a time. They brought us here all connected. And so there is a chain of there's energy that connects us, whether we like that or not. Uh, and so uh, it's with uh, gratitude that I'm on the air and I wanna thank all my supporters and everyone who helped uh, keep us on the air. Uh, and um, it's with great gratitude that, I, that I'm on the air. Thank you, Mr. Uh, thank you, uh, Eric. I hope you had a great weekend. Yeah, it was Eric, nice, thank weekend? you. Oh, okay, all right. So, hey, bring on my guests, uh, Mr. Rye. We got a lot to talk about here in the next 15 minutes. How you doing, Mr. Rye? Oh, I'm uh, still the same way you do. I feel very remorseful of what happened in Buffalo. Uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, the country is just that divided. That's all there's to it. Now there's hatred coming out, this viciousness. And uh, so it's, uh, it's just a sad day in America. Uh, I can just imagine, <laughs> I can just imagine black men and women in the military all around the world, stars and stripes on their shoulders defending somebody else's freedom. And right now their freedom, their family's freedom to vote is uh, at risk. And not to mention that uh, we got people on public airways promoting this hatred and uh, this deranged guy, you know, it's just, it's just, I mean, I'm just saying it's, it's really dangerous. But he's not deranged. I mean, this is steeped in it. We have to, we have to separate mental illness from hatred. Mm -hmm. And uh, this guy is not deranged at all. There, there, there is something about deep-seated hatred of us in America that we've got to come to terms with. These are these are the these people went ten thousand people would show up at a lynching. I mean, so this is not uh -huh. new. We we keep thinking that this is new. We had a reprieve uh, with with Clinton. Uh, we had a reprieve with Obama. Uh, but but you you had Reagan who 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 who, uh, who started his campaign. In Philadelphia, Mississippi. That's right. Okay, and then you had this other guy who said, "Make America great again." That's to make America great again without us and other people. I mean, and so we have to not. This is not new. It's just resurgent because the the genie had the, the genie was in the bottle and Trump took it off, and they said, "Come on!" And, but but also, I I blame the Justice Department because this has been going on ever since McVeigh. I mean, Timothy McVeigh, he, when he bombed the uh, the the uh, uh, Oklahoma building, he bombed that to start to start to try to start a race war. Mm -hmm. And so they took out the Panthers. You know, I mean, we're talking about the Panthers offline, so you know when they, how long you know because you was talking about the Panthers. Yeah. So these are not deranged people. These are people who were raised to believe that we're not human beings and we don't have a right to be here. And you know what? I couldn't agree with you more because of the fact I think about. Uh, <clears throat> Growing like myself, spending the first 10 years of my life in Shreveport, Louisiana, I saw some atrocities, some disrespect, that some things that uh, wouldn't just wouldn't be happening anywhere else. I mean, I can remember my uncles telling me about people, uh, black soldiers coming back from World War II, waiting at a bus stop and might get attacked by a, a group of uh, drunk whites and things like this. And they just finished serving the country. That's why I mentioned before about uh, black folks all around the world right now in Poland, in Hungary, 
uh, getting ready to defend the freedom for Ukraine. At the same time, uh, they don't have the same, we don't have the same freedom here. So uh, I, we really have to do something about, about this. And the thing about it is that it's, like you said, uh, the genie is out the bottle. I mean, hatred is accepted, it's promoted. Uh, I mean, we got down to the point where you had Tucker Carlson saying, uh, what side is this country on? Russia, why are we on Ukraine's side? How can we not on Russia's side? So that lets you know right there uh, what they're thinking is. So it's uh, it's totally unacceptable. I'm, I'm just hoping that uh, right now they're saying uh, the murderer is, is still innocent until proven guilty, even though everybody saw him shooting the people. But And he went there specifically, as you stated, drove uh, to an all-Black place to uh, to eliminate Black people. It's just uh, just unfortunate. And, you know, we saw the same thing, really, in, in Texas with, with uh, the Mexican community down there at that Walmart when that guy killed about 27 to 28 people. So I just well, hope that... I was, listening, I was listening to the interview of uh, Crosscut with the author of the 1619 Project, and she says that we are the, we, America would not have a democracy without us. And you can tell that right now. These people want to have a theocracy. They want to go, they, they're not interested in, in democracy, but we believe that, you know, like you said, we believe these are truths that are evident that all men are created equal. And so we've been, we the one who fought for, uh, for, uh, for, uh, for, for democracy in America. And as you're talking about it abroad, they had no democracy, none. They had no democracy. I mean, because really, I mean, even during World War II and all, all the wars that black people fought in uh, all the way back to the Civil War, because Lincoln couldn't win without the black people. And, and Biden can't win without the black people. And they don't have enough strength of courage to be able to stand up to do what they're to do. Because look at the people that they're cowards. I mean, we're really and truly. I mean, we have fought valiantly in this country, not only like you're talking about around the world, but in this country, you know, I mean, look at the dogs and all the things that people went up against just to register to vote because people believe that voting, I mean, so, so, so they have never cared about the country for a whole. It's only been a few people. And, um, you know, we outnumber white people coming out of, out of slavery three to one. That's why they opened up the borders. And, and the census have always been wrong. It's always been wrong because at one time the Puerto Ricans was considered black and then and then what is in the mid 80s or something like that or the mid 70s they came up with Latinos. Mm -hmm. I mean to be able to take them from the county. Yeah. I mean so so we don't know how many so they they could have always been a minority for all we know because they don't tell the truth. <laughs> well that no that that's well when they come down to getting the money a lot of people try to end up uh, changing who they were in the past to be something different so they could benefit from that but uh i'm just really hoping that uh that uh, this country wake up i mean i just i just feel awful for black men and women all around the world you know here i am you know united states uh, uh uniform on and somebody in J uh, japan or uh, Korea or Germany come and say, "What are you doing over here? They killing your people in your own state. You need to, you need to go back home and, and do your fighting there." So there, something has to have to change. This is just intolerable, and we know that more of it's going to happen if the the Trump like people continue to get in office. Well, 
Well, but but I think the Supreme Court just ruled today something about about finance and about the money that they're not going to they you know I mean money can still stay part of a you know a part part of the financing of uh, of commercials and and all of this other stuff. I don't have the correct rule, and I have to look at it when we go to break. But again, I don't think we understand. This is a silk. This is. This is the psychological war it's been going on 159 years. We, they've been fighting, we've been fighting, they've been fighting us 159 years and we need to wake up and understand that this really is what it is. It's a psychological war. One of the psychological wars is to keep you frightened, you know, to, to do, I mean, so what he did, what, what he did was like a lynching. I mean, it was a public lynching, it's what he was. And we should call all these people the KKK and not let them get around, get, get them all these new names because they behave like the KKK. No, you're absolutely right. You know, it reminds me of uh, during Reconstruction and a lot of the new immigrants coming to this country haven't had the Black history or they probably won't let them here have it anyway. But there was a gentleman that was a, a local businessman uh, that passed away and he was on the front page of the facts last week, Mr. Willie Dunn. And he had a shop, I think, on 19th by, the, by, by uh, the Boys Club that was famous for making sausage. Anyway, as it turns out, his uh, he was a grandnephew of the lieutenant governor of Louisiana, who was the lieutenant governor from 1968 to, I mean, uh, 1868 to 1871. So what that shows you is that during that era, we had thousands, over a thousand Black elected and appointed officials. And then the same thing that's happening right now uh, on affirmative action, it, it was came right back with repeating history all over again. It's to the but point it, where they ran all the black folks out of office. They burned them out. They took their burned money. them out. They burned them out. Yeah. Exactly. And, then, and, and then they changed the law someplace in Willington, North Carolina. They had something to happen to guy. And, and then then they went to Congress and made it harder for people to vote. I mean, we actually do a lot of other stuff. So right there, the, that reconstruction time actually let us know what they can do or what they're going to try to do right now. And it's still going on. But because we don't understand history and because we've been programmed to pop culture, pop culture absolutely does not help you to collect to connect the dots. And so our people are still in the wilderness because they fall in pop culture and pop culture this takes you on to the next thing right now. Just like, oh, okay, we're done with this. And unless we connect the dots, we'll never be able to get this. I mean, I, you know, I'd be calling for a national boycott because really we need to take our money out of the system. I mean, really into the because every 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 major company that we support today also was on stand your ground laws after Trayvon Martin got killed down in Florida. The only two national country was not a companies was Costco and Starbucks. Mm -hmm. All the rest of the countries, uh, uh, companies, uh, Amazon, I mean, uh, uh, Microsoft, they were all part of Stand Your Ground. See? Well, it was like, uh, even now, uh, I know that during the George Floyd and Black Lives Matter uh, movement, which is still going on, that uh, the employees at Fred Meyer and Safeway could not wear Black Lives Matter paraphernalia, whereas the Starbucks people could. I just thought, thought that, that's something to mention as well. Well, yeah, but, but also uh, these companies are benefiting because they take their profits that we spend because we the icing on every cake, on all of these cakes, we and we spend our money and they take their money and support Trump. All of them do. I mean, except for Costco uh, uh, and and, uh, and they're going after, after, after Starbucks, uh, uh, you know, uh, for union. But Starbucks was not part of Stand Your Ground Laws. Mm -hmm was not. Yeah. Well, 
a lot of those uh, corporations give to both parties, to be honest with well, you. That's, not, that's how they do it. So they, they want to be able to make money no matter who's in power. And right now, even with uh, these shortages and stuff, you know, I'm saying it's a lot of us contrived because if you check the profits of corporations, they're going up. They're not going down. Uh, the cost for the people in inflation, they want to blame on, on President Biden. But if the fact that you look at the corporations and the oil companies and see how their profits are increasing, then you can really determine who the culprits are. Well, I agree. I agree. I mean, I agree. I agree with that. But um, I know one side, I mean, okay, they got the Koch brothers. So every time you buy a paper product, every time you buy napkins, paper cups, anything in America with a paper wrapping on it, you are supporting the Koch brothers. We have a whole list of products that you buy that the Koch brothers own. These are the people who are financing the right. And these are rich people, Murdoch, who own Fox News. All these people, are, are they're financing these people. Yeah, and just uh, like uh, the, the owners of uh, Fred Meyer and QFC, the Krovers, and they're out of Georgia. So they have that, they have that mentality, and that's why they weren't allowed to wear Black Lives Matter paraphernalia. Well, I tell you, Black Lives Matter never went in anywhere and gunned down anybody. Now, they might have had a rally, they might have had a protest and somebody got killed, but they didn't kill anybody. I mean, they did not. Somebody might have showed oh, up, but, you know. I mean, because if that, you know, Black, so, 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 so really, they can't come after Black Lives Matter anymore because they have murderers who absolutely want to murder people. And they, this little guy might have thought he was going to be like Kyle, going to get away with it, but I don't think so. Well, you know, uh, one of the Black Washington, uh, D.C. Capitol Police officers <laughs> said that Black Lives Matter protesters wouldn't have made it to the first step. They'd have been shooting it in. That's been reaffirmed by Donald Trump by saying, can't we just shoot them in the legs? You know, so, and then the other fiasco he pulled when he used the military to go out to do a photo op holding the Bible upside down in front of that church. Well, I think we, I think we still have to go deeper to understand, to understand that this is, this is, this is war. It's psychological war. That's to put fear in people. You know, I mean, that's to put fear in people. They come and burn your house down and burn the schoolhouse down, burn down Black Wall Street. That's a fear tactic. And it's our determination that we will not be turned around. It is our sure determination that we got a right to be here, to breathe this great earth and all of this stuff. As Paul Robeson said, you know, we got a right to be here. And I continue to say that. So, yeah. Anyway, My daughter yeah. says we, we built this joint for free. That's right. Because that's, they, right. You know, that's why they don't want the history taught to people coming into the country as immigrants. They want to give them any kind of negative things they can put in their mind about black folks never sharing. And pretty soon they'll be outlawed. Well, we can't teach black history any longer. We don't want people to know the contributions were made by black <laughs> folks over a thousand inventions. <laughs> I mean, it's just. Uh, but we also have to understand that immigrants and the beginning was bought as a wedge between us because they always work less. I mean, and that's just the truth. And we never told the truth. A lot of places in North Carolina where black people had jobs at when they brought in, when, when the other people, Latinos came in, our, our people, Mexicans came in, all the college kids in, in Elizabeth City lost their jobs. And, but nobody want to tell the truth about what is happening. And then, and then they vote against us. I mean, they, they vote against us. They, they don't vote with us. So Really and truly, I mean, the, the narrative of America is to write us out of history. Us and the Native Americans, they want to have another narrative, and it's not us, and it's not, it's not, it's not, 
it's not Native Americans. And so I'm not wrapping myself up in the immigrants uh, uh, issue as much as I used to, because I go to places here in Seattle and I don't ever see anybody sitting in communion or sitting in any other places but us. But we 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 we, we make everybody rich. And so I'm, I'm looking at my own consciousness and I'm, I'm all right with that. But yeah. I know, you know, go ahead, Mr. Wright. So I was going to say that the other thing, too, is that it's hard, uh, you know, when you have people have access to offshore dollars, you know, and that's why with the minority business program right now, you can't say everything is equal because some people who you're competing with come from countries that have airlines, they have countries, they have treasure. And that money, that don't think for one minute, none of that money's not coming over here. I mean, yeah. I'm not hating on them, but I'm just saying, let's make it equal and, 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 and make sure that we have a federal designation for African descendants of the United States enslaved and have a department in every federal agency that pays no attention on, but to mm-hmm. nobody but us with a budget in each one that didn't have to ask boss for nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's the way you solve that problem is about having that federal designation for the people that's been here 400 years, died in every war, and dealt with segregation, degradation, and the other kind of obscenities we had to face. It's time for the United States government to have a federal designation for African descendants of the United States enslaved in every federal agency because enough black folks have worked in the government or worked in the government, they could easily run one of those departments. So they're right. That's the right about that. Well, we hope that we, you know, one thing about it is that I know most politicians don't have courage. I mean, and that's what I've observed here this time. I mean, even even sometimes the black caucus don't always have courage. So we need courageous people right now to do what's necessary for the next generation of, of black people and our survival in America. All right. Well, I thank you, Mr. Ride, for coming on. Uh, and your right, daughter put out a list of all the people who had gotten killed uh, and also their ages. I thought, I think she did that. So I'm going to go find that list. I saw it somewhere on Facebook. Okay. All right. Thank you. But th- thank you. All right. You're listening to the Mother's Justice Show at 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Reverend Walden. We'll be right back. Market Street Shoes is happy to sponsor the Mother's Justice Show in honor of our mother, Jackie Higgins Rosebrook, who spent her life fighting for social justice and also in honor of all mothers who fight for social justice. Market Street Shoes, fashionable footwear and apparel for life's everyday adventures in the heart of Ballard since 2006. Visit MarketStreetShoes.com. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Mother's Justice Show on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Reverend Walden. It's my joy to be on the air. So grateful for all the gratitude for people who help keep us on the air. I'm going to bring on my next guest here. My, my guest here, a great friend of mine. Uh, she's been on She's been on air many, many times. I met her many years ago in Chicago. So I want to bring on uh, Rashida. How are you doing, Rashida? I'm doing okay, Harriet. Hope you are. I'm doing the best I can, and I thank you for saying yes. I know you've been busy down there in Oakland. True transparency, I always let people know when I know people directly and, and know their story. I've been working with you almost <laughs> ever since we met in Chicago. We were, hey, we were, in the, was that a summer of being young? <laughs> Hard to remember that far back. <laughs> hey, I, I, I guess we've grown to be elders doing this work. Is that right? I would say so. Yeah, yes. And you just continue with the work done in Oakland. And uh, so today I just wanted to, I mean, we can talk about a variety of things. Your, your, your expression of whatever you want to talk about as it relates to Buffalo 
and then California, then, you know, you work there in, um, um, you work there in Oakland, uh, and also if you wanted to let people know how you got into that work, you know, with the deputy husband and what happened at the, with, with the hands of the uh, Oakland police. So, you know, I just, wherever you want to start at. Yeah, in uh, December of 1993, um, some uh, people from animal control came to my house they were at that time uh animal control was operated by the police department and they claimed that um they needed to quarantine my son's dog uh because they they needed to check the vaccination uh because the dog had bitten somebody uh and uh it, it they lied about pretty much everything i found out that there was an audio tape of the incident it took me five years to find out about it and to get a hold of it, at which point I knew that they had lied about everything. And uh, my son had, you know, despite their account of the matter, my son actually had agreed to give them the dog and all hell broke loose at that point. It was very clear that they were not interested in the dog. That was a pretext. And they had no interest in and then they didn't even bring a vector van with them to put the dog in. They arrived in a sedan. Mm. So they lied about everything. And the long and short of it was they killed my son. They killed my husband, who was in a wheelchair, African-American, uh, Korean war veteran, internationally known musician, who was a bassist who worked with Odetta. Uh -huh. and. Um, killed the dog and uh an officer was killed in the process as well and so that is what um got me involved in this work and i was not able to file a lawsuit because there were no independent witnesses it happened indoors and all the attorneys had uh was the account provided by the officers that they could not overcome. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't discover that there was an audio tape. I did, but it was too late by then because it was all already five years. So um, that's the long and short of it. And because I couldn't get any relief or justice through the legal system, I got involved politically and started meeting other families who had suffered similar abuses and joined an organization that was working on the issue uh and that's how it all started well i just want to just commend you um outside i mean also i want to just offer my condolences because the one thing about loss you had a double loss you know my yeah. son passed away in 2005 and uh you know your life is forever changed uh, you know it's uh yeah, the death, you know, uh, death takes our breath away. It, it's uh, it, it, and and changes our life forever. And yeah. I didn't know that your husband was involved with Odetta. I didn't know that. I didn't know. Yeah, that. he was her bassist for five years. Mm. Wow. I always learn something new when I'm talking to you. How <laughs> old was how old was how old was your son? Twenty. Twenty. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Bless your heart. And I yeah. know, I mean, no, knowing from that, knowing from the walk 
don't believe it for my son, although, I mean, I, I tell people we're all in the same club if you bury the child. Doesn't, yeah. you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we all as mothers experience that loss that uh, whether it's a, a newborn baby at the hospital and the mother didn't get to take the baby home or whatever, it, it's still the loss that we all, uh, and, and it's a forever loss and we learn to live with that. So I just yeah. wanted to uh, I, I know, you know that I understand the journey, uh, and I to not totally, but also, you know, and your husband uh, and, and that. So also I understand your passion for justice because one of the things that happens is that your life is never the same. You're yeah. not gonna be in the kitchen cooking, cooking is the same way. If so, you're gonna be cooking, cooking a different way, but whatever, your life is forever changed. And so you've done this work now for almost a, almost a generation. And that's a yeah. long time. You know, you know what I mean? A generation, people sometimes, they call things generation when it's not. A generation is a combination of three decades. Yeah. So a generation is 30 years. Yep. Well, I'm reaching. Next year will be a 30th year. That's right. That's right. That's right. Because mother started in 90. And I, yeah. I, I met you in Chicago. I mean, in Chicago with cop watch people and all the other people there in the Bay Area that was doing police work, uh, you know, uh, with Cornelius and uh, all those people. And I just want to let my listening audience know that it takes an enormous amount of energy to keep doing something that you're not being paid for, number one, but you come from a passion of love and and you want to see the world better. I mean, and, and, and so it takes a lot of energy. So I just really want to acknowledge that. And I know that you, <laughs> been there with the consent decree <laughs> hey the the forever decree uh there in <laughs> oakland <laughs> well but i saw, yeah, I, saw your, just, I saw your page the other day that looked like you're gonna have some movement with that consent decree yeah i was on npr talking about it the judge just um finally signed off on a probationary period of a year uh they're calling it a sustainability period Right. where where they, they have to continue to monitor and make sure that there's no backsliding. Yeah, well, Seattle uh, uh, actually is going to be going through this again. But uh, before uh, before George Floyd and all the, all the chop and everything, they were asking to come from under consent decree because uh, the judge had given them a two-year sustainability. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were asking to come from under that. So, but now just tell us a little bit about Oakland. You know, how long did, I mean, what was the main incident that got, got the DOJ involved? Well, actually it wasn't the DOJ. Um, this was a voluntary agreement made oh. between the plaintiff's attorneys and the city of Oakland. Uh, and they did it in order to avoid <laughs> getting the DOJ involved. Um, okay. Uh, so, so, but it is being monitored and has been monitored by a federal judge, notwithstanding, uh, and a monitor team. So uh, what started it was a class action lawsuit filed by two of our civil rights attorneys, John Burris and Jim Channon, uh, in the early uh, 2000s, uh, based on 120 plaintiffs, all of whom, except for one, was were black. And yeah. um, these plaintiffs all experienced uh, abuse of force, physical force, use of force, excessive force, kidnapping, planning drugs, and you name it, and they did it. 
And um, that class action lawsuit uh, resulted in two things. One was a criminal trial for four of the uh, officers and also the civil trial, the civil case with um, 19 officers as subject officers. And that is the civil case is what resulted in the settlement agreement. And the settlement agreement was $10 million plus these necessary reforms. That became a condition of the settlement. So that's how we got into the settlement. Wow. Well, it's been a long journey to get to oh, this yeah. place. I mean, you all have gone to the polls. Uh, you've gotten something. You had you had a, a, a officers who involved with the sex, uh, I guess, a rape or something. I mean, so it's been a long journey since that time to get to where yeah. you are today. And you've been part of every step of that journey. I mean, I want my listeners to know that. I mean, you've been part of that. I mean, you also had a couple of police chiefs that y'all had to send packing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, one of your favorites, Ann Kirkpatrick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yes, 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 yes. Our, I, our I, police I, commission, our police commission got her fired. But uh, of course, she filed a wrongful termination lawsuit, which is now uh, in the process of being uh, litigated. And um, I hope that the city doesn't settle. I hope they bring her to trial. But I have a feel, feeling that they probably oh, they will settle. settle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, wow, but she'll probably, so, she'll, she blamed everybody. She blamed the court monitor. She blamed the uh, police commission. Uh, she blamed everybody under the sun except herself, of course. Yeah, they sent up packing out of Spokane, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now she probably got some money from that, too. Yeah, you know, you might be right about that, because I think she was fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think she stayed. I don't think she's worked her tenure uh, uh, anywhere. I mean, I don't. I don't think because she comes in, I uh, not not really. I, I don't know how she got to be a police chief in in a way because her, her knowledge and understanding of uh, of this is just very uh, it's very thin compared yeah. to a lot of other police uh, chiefs. So uh, yeah, and then uh, so you want to talk a little bit about how you all? I mean, how you got to the the uh, the uh, Oakland Police Commission? Since you're not, since you, since you, it wasn't organized under, under the settlement agreement. So how did you do no. that? No, it wasn't. Uh, well, we, you know, and when I was working with Pueblo, we knew that eventually there would be an exit from the negotiated settlement agreement. Uh, we, it was supposed to happen in five years. Of course it <laughs> didn't. Uh, but we started to think about what was going to happen after the judge went away and everything closed down. How was the city of Oakland going to maintain the reforms? Uh, And we realized that the city of Oakland had demonstrated no ability at all to control its police department, which is why we got involved in that class action settlement to begin with, that we believed that the city lacked the political will and the political courage to control its police department and that the police department essentially acted as an independent governing agency rather than a part of an elected democratic uh, city government. And so we realized that the only way we could ensure any degree of 
control after the federal judge left the scene would be to create a circumstance in Oakland where we would have an independent ability to control the police department, regardless of the mayor and the city administrator. And that's what we did. So we did the research and realized that the only way to accomplish that was to change the charter of the city. Mm -hmm. uh, we couldn't do it through an ordinance because it required altering the authority of the police, uh, of the uh, city manager, because oh, the city okay. manager uh, was given the authority over every department, which included the police department. And therefore, having an advisory body, which we already had, uh, was not going to be enough because at the end of the day, the control yeah. was still going to be with the city manager. So we needed to change the All charter. Right, I think we'll of take a break right now and come right back to listen to the Mother's Justice Show on 1150 AM KKNW. Are you back? We'll take yep. a break right now. On 1150 okay. AM KKNW. We'll be right back. Okay. Market Street Shoes is happy to sponsor the Mother's Justice Show in honor of our mother, Jackie Higgins Rosebrook, who spent her life fighting for social justice and also in honor of all mothers who fight for social justice. Market Street Shoes, fashionable footwear and apparel for life's everyday adventures in the heart of Ballard since 2006. Visit MarketStreetShoes.com. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Mother's Justice Show on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Reverend Walden. It's always my joy and my pleasure to be on the air uh, uh, with you all today. Bringing back my host, and I bring back my guest and my friend uh, from from Oakland. I, I come back on in, Rashida. You were talking about how you all was picked up the the, um, the police commission. Right. So we had to we had to change the city charter, and in order to do that, only the voters can change the city charter. It's kind of like a federal constitution when you're trying to amend it. And so um, we had to uh, do a ballot measure. And uh, that meant we had to form a coalition. Uh, we knew that as a small organization, we would not be able to uh, be able to politically uh, move the city council to get it on the ballot. And we certainly didn't have the money uh, to do a petition. So we knew we had to build a strong coalition, and that's what we did. We got labor unions, we got clergy, we got all kind of grassroots organizations. We got the NACP, the Latino Task Force, and uh, the Wellstone Democratic Club, and all the kind of on-the-ground organizations we could find in Oakland, and built a really strong coalition and got unanimous support to put the ballot measure on for 2016. And we got 83% of the vote. So um, that established our police commission, which has authority uh, to fire the police chief, which of course they did, as we mentioned. And it has the authority to discipline and fire officers. It has an independent uh, investigative arm and uh, it has the ability to re revise and create new policy. 
So, so that, of, has it been challenged yet by the union? So if you have a, you have a right, you know, you have the authority to uh, fire police officers. Has that been challenged? No, it has not. Okay, that's very good then. But then you yeah. have to go back to get a budget because I think the first time you all got you got it set up, but then you had, you didn't get a, a budgetary. I mean, you you, had, you couldn't advocate for your own budget, could you? No, well, we we got a necessary budget because we made sure that there had to be at least one investigator for every hundred officers. That's locked in to the measure. Okay. Uh, but what we didn't get initially was an inspector general or an independent legal counsel. So we had to go back to the voters in 2020 with another measure that gave the police commission additional powers, including its own inspector general. Uh, and the inspector general will basically take over what has been the authority of the court monitor to make sure that the police department does not regress and fall back into its old ways. And we also have independent legal counsel not connected to the city attorney's office. Wow. Well, you have some of the same things that we fought for also. I mean, uh, I mean, it's kind of structured that same way in a way, because if, if when this consent decree is over, we always have, we have the Office of Inspector Gender, gender. that came out of, out of the uh, setting up the police accountability system. We already had an OPA. We don't have all independent uh, uh, investigators though. Uh, and sometimes, you know, the police doesn't always want to uh, put in our recommendation. So you got a little bit stronger, uh, you, you got a lot more stronger uh, 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 oversight than uh, what we have. We're still working on, because ours is three, everything is all under this police commission and right. ours is not. See, we have the OPAs, uh, uh, it's an independent body. We have the IGs independent body and then you have the CPC as an independent body. So what you all did was combine all of it together then. Yeah. I think that's mm -hmm. But Go we ahead. took it we took it out from under the city administrator. And I think uh at the end of the day, the question is, you know, do you have enforcement power? Because without it, um it's still left up to the political people uh whether or not to accept what you're recommending. That's what just happened in Berkeley. They put on their ballot, a measure that established an executive director over their police commission, but they still don't have independent authority. All they can do is recommend, and it's up to the city council to affirm or the city manager, I'm not sure who, but it's they don't have the ability to independently enforce what they come up with in terms of policy or discipline that's now, we, yeah we don't have that either because discipline is still measured that is still handed out by the chief there the uh the uh, opa uh and who does the investigation can recommend discipline yeah uh, and the chief can uh, can uh, adhere to that or either give something more stringent or do something less than that uh, and what they still have here uh is that they can still go to arbitration that did not that has not I, I've been ended, but also we, we didn't get a good contract for the people uh, in 2018. The city signed a contract that turned that, that rolled back a lot of the things that we had asked for and we put in the ordinance. 
Now we got the ordinance, if it was all up to date and, and uh, we had got a good contract, uh, some of this would be working right now. Yeah. But, uh, but the city, in my experience, has never negotiate hard enough for any unions to get anything for the people. Well, we haven't either. And that's why that's why we had to get it to the voters and change the charter because the charter is the is the rule of law, right? right? The charter can be enforced by court, and so if they can't violate the charter in their negotiations. The charter wow. trumps everything. So at the end of the day, Harriet, I think what every city has, is going to have to do is what we did is go to the ballot and let the voters demand the kind of authority that is meaningful. Well, I, you know, I mean, and that's what some people are, that uh, I know that just some other cities, I think we've heard something about some, some city in, uh, in uh, Tennessee. I don't know which one uh, has gone to, maybe have gone to the ballot. Right. Um, because as it stands right now with the, with the uh, rise of uh, fascism and, uh, and all of this stuff, that's, uh, and, and a lot of, People who believe in fascism or don't believe in democracy or don't want to see everybody else have a fair shake or hide themselves in the police department. The police department is is the only place in America, only job that's left in America that you can actually have three uh, 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 harm. I mean, you could actually have been, three people have died in custody with you, whether it was on the streets or whatever. I mean, and it's only only place where somebody can have three deaths uh, uh, and still have a job. But doctor has multiple people dying. He's gonna lose his license. He's gonna lose his privilege at the hospital. Police is the only profession that you can kill people, go on a three months high with the hiatus, come back and still have a job. Yeah, you're right. It's only, it's the only one, it's the only profession. Yep. They it's, have it's, established it's, themselves as a protected class. Right. That's right. That's right. And the Supreme Court has kind of agreed with them. I, mean, I know. They still have the immunity. I mean, they still exactly. get all of that. So, yep. And I guess I guess the only way to uh, is to look at getting it uh, in the ballot in some kinds of way. Because we we actually, if we had not been able to get uh, the CPC in ordinance, uh, uh, working on police accountability system, the way that the uh, the way that the uh, Justice Department the settlement agreement is that we would go away after the consent decree was over. It would not be no community, no police commission after um, the DOJ packs up and go home. And I'll see it's gonna be left in a worse shape than it was when the DOJ came to town. We had some issues in in Seattle, clearly, but now we have a police department in shambles because we don't have enough officers. I mean, and, and then the crime is escalating. Now, have you all, have you all had a lot of officers to leave? Yes, we have. Yep, we are at the lowest point that we've been in for decades. Yeah, that's um, right. That's how Seattle is. I mean, we way down, uh, and I guess that's I guess that's their pushback and punishment for uh, for the for, for for the cities that actually want want to get police reform or police accountability. I don't know how people who work for the public uh, and the public pay their wages don't think they have no accountability to the public. I mean, that, that's the thing that I don't understand. None of these officers, no police department in America get paid on federal dollars. Now, the feds might give you a grant to hire like, you know, 100 officers, but you got to keep those hired, those officers hired for the next three, four, five years. You can't, you can't fire, you can't lay them off if you take the federal grant. And yeah. so they might do that. 
but the next four or five years is it, uh, this salary comes from the taxpayers. And so I don't know how we got to this place that people who pay their wages don't have no don't have no say in what happens uh, 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 about their job and how and how they harm people. I mean, that's just outrageous. Yeah. Yep, that's what we've allowed to to emerge over a period of many, many years. And uh, I guess it started in the 90s with the whole, you know, tough on, you know, crime and law and order and all these politicians. Oh, yeah, it came out of who, California with Dow Gates model. Yep, you know, us absolutely. Them, absolutely. You know, us and them, and they became an occupying force in the communities. Yep. Uh, again, while we were paying them. I, and uh, and they never all they did was intimidate people and harm people, uh, and and so that model is a hard model to crack. I mean, it really is. Yeah. A lot of people come be police officers so they can be in charge or be uh, mean to people. That's and right. We got some good officers out there. I mean, the officer, the retired officer, lost his life there in uh, Buffalo. If the if the uh, shooter had not had on all that gear, he would have took him down. But he, you know, he was one of the victims. Um, and he was trying to, you know, he died trying, trying to save other people. Uh, and so you have a lot of good officers and, and that's the truth. And then some of us know some of the good officers because you get to be friends with them and you get to know people as long as they've been doing the work and, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. But I'm, I'm really, so how much, how much money now that you guys pay to pay, how much did it cost you all this 20 years now? So do you know the total amount yet? No, we don't have the total amount yet, but it's probably going to reach almost fifty million dollars because it was it was over thirty million dollars uh, in twenty sixteen. That was the last I mean, time. Who, we who got that money? I mean, can well, we go get some of it? Me and you, we need some of that money. Who got that money? Uh, well, it was a combination of the plaintiffs' attorneys, the monitor team that reported to the judge, uh, special subject experts. Um, they hired a professor from Stanford to do um, a deep dive into the traffic stops, looking at the racial disparities in racial stops. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, they had a lot of special subject experts that so they had to come and pay uh, to do reports and make recommendations and review their policy and all that kind of stuff. Wow. Now the commissioners are they paid? Do they have do no. they have staff or are this they, all volunteer? They are volunteers, but there is paid staff that supports them. Okay, so it's so it's still structured like ours then. Right. I mean, because we we were the first one that got set up in America this way. Um and, and so we're all volunteers too. I mean, there's a stipend available for people who are having hardship. Um and uh, and we have a staff and we have budgetary, we have a budget. We also have a budgetary authority. I mean, you know, we we, we get a budget and we, we can argue for our budget because mm -hmm. we're an independent agency. We're now, are you considered an agency of uh, Oakland city government? Yeah. Okay. So are we. We're a city agency. Yeah. I tell you, but but I think it's almost asinine to ask uh, people to be volunteers on this level. I really do. Yeah, I, mean, I after, agree. After being there for a long time, uh, I mean, I'm the last one that was appointed, and I'm still there. And uh, really, I, I think I think it caused for burnout. And um, and and again, I think these people need to be valued. Also, fifty million dollars is gone to other people, but the people who absolutely is going to be doing this work here and making sure things are going, I think. I mean, 
I think it's an awful lot to ask for volunteers. I really do. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. we, tried, we actually tried to get it in, but the city council didn't want to go for it because they said it would establish a precedent for all the other commissions in the city. And yeah, but see, but see, but your commission is different because you're part of the you're part of um, you, you you're part of the city government. The other commission, they're advisory. They they're not part yep. of the government. See, you're right. You're right. 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 And that. Well, and, I don't and, know. And, yeah. I, I don't know if we can remedy that without going back to the ballot again, or oh, whether yeah. we can. Uh, right. We could maybe try to get it in an ordinance. And I don't know if that would work or not, but we could try. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm just talking about the amount of time and energy because if you and I, I, know, I agree, paid, if you and I had gotten paid, we'd be on a yacht right now that we own. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we have some youngins doing this work. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a lifetime dedication. I really appreciate you. I mean, I understand the, uh, the work. I mean, you know, I understand the work and what it takes to do this. It took a lot of effort, like you said, a lot of co uh, collaboration, bringing people together, and um, I think I think eventually we'll have to just eventually do public service announcements all the time about what is good policing. I mean, that might be another way to turn this tide around. Is public service announcement? <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm just thinking about that. What did it look like to put, you know? put it on the television about I mean at one time we used to have good commercials on there but now it's all about selling but really I mean I, th I think we could go, I think that this is such a bad this is such a great issue in America is that uh, we might have to take to the public airway to be able to get some real uh, some, some continued uh, resolution but you all are the winners down there hey you all are the winners I'm proud of you all and it took 20 years. <laughs> it did indeed. It did indeed. It's just no, no easy fix. No, 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 no. A lot of late night meetings. And I know that for a fact, a lot yeah. of people, you know, trying to, trying to calm and talk to one another and to be civilized and what it takes to work in coalition. Well, I just want to say congratulations to you for, for I appreciate it. Thank you, Harriet. Yeah, that means know, a lot. So. Oh, yeah. And we'll see each other again if whether I used to come to Oakland or you, I, we get you up here, you know, to talk about what's happening down in Oakland. So like, one way or another, we're going to see each other again soon, okay? I look forward to it. Thank you, Harriet. Right. Thank you so much. You You've been listening care. to the Mother's Justice Show on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Reverend Walden, and I enjoyed today. I hope you did too, and I'll see you next week. Have a great week. Be safe. <laughs>